He's lying in a manger, wrapped in swaddling cloths, in Bethlehem, in the city of David. And so as we come to this passage, it's in the same region, the same area of Bethlehem. And so go ahead and take a minute and read through Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. Actually, it's 8 through 20, 8 through 21. Um, but we'll be focusing on chapters, Luke chapter 2. Verses 8 through 20. As I looked at this text, I couldn't help but notice once again, as we've seen throughout the scripture, the counter-cultural values of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And it starts once again with the shepherds. The angels were not sent to kings or to generals or to other power brokers, whether they be religious power brokers, they be political power brokers, or they be financial power brokers. The angels were sent to, to shepherds. The great good news that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, that he so loved the world that he has now given his son, his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would have eternal life, which should not perish. That great news was first being brought to the shepherds which would be totally countercultural, And it didn't make the headlines of the day. The stock markets didn't stop trading. No one was shaken from their beds in the middle of the night uh, to be told the news that would change the world. This is the news that's going to change the world. Many of us, or maybe I shouldn't say many of us, a few of us can remember exactly what we were doing and where we were the day John F. Kennedy was shot. Um, that's what I said. I looked around and I said, oh, then maybe there's just a few of us. Um, uh, since that happened quite a few years ago. Um, <clears throat> but uh, there's been other history-making events that when they took place, you remembered where you were because they were that significant. So most who were around can remember what they were doing or where they were with 9-11. But on the night when the single greatest moment in human history took place and God the Creator stepped onto the scene of history as a man, there was no one taking notice. It was no big deal according to the world. The mass of the world's population that moment would not turn to one another one day and say, I remember where I was when Jesus was born. 
Um, but a handful of shepherds in the middle of the wilderness, in the dead of the night, they are the ones to whom the message was sent and who heard the choirs of heaven begin their song. And it's astonishing. Um, all the more astonishing when you understand something of the status of shepherds in those days. A shepherd in those days was thought was on the power of a tax collector, untrustworthy, and sort of held in universal contempt. The rabbis prohibited devout Jews from doing business, from buying wool, from buying milk or meat from shepherds because they were unclean. They said, and I'm quoting, no position in the world is as despised as that of the shepherds. They were considered to be untrustworthy. In fact, that their testimony was inadmissible in a court of law. They were by all accounts the lowest of the low, unclean, unreliable, universally considered petty thieves whose word could never be trusted. It's not the profession you wanted your children to aspire to. And if country music had been around at that time, the song would have been, Mama, don't let your boys grow up to be shepherds. Um, and yet, it was to them that the angelic hosts came. Why is, it, why is it to them? Because our Lord was a shepherd. That's why. God who comes among us in Jesus comes to shepherd his people. And his message is that we are to be shepherds to others. But it's not the mighty and the good and the intelligent or the wise, the elite, the sophisticated or the aristocratic that he's met, sent that message to because for the majority of them, they almost always misunderstood his message. And they totally misunderstood his mission. Because his mission was to all people, but the religious elite, the power brokers, only felt it was for them. But the outsider and the unclean, the shepherds, they're the target of his love from the first. Jesus, the shepherd king, came on a mission for people like these men tending their flocks by night. The message of Christmas is that in Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God is for broken sinners. Not perfect saints, but for screw-ups, not all-stars. And we may understand that intellectually, but so many times we'll make statements, I understand that, but my sin or my life is too bad. And Jesus is saying, no. And that's the countercultural, upside-down nature of the kingdom that Jesus brings, inaugurates and brings and offers. The message of Christmas is that Jesus Christ, the shepherd king, came for you and he came for me just as we are. Jesus' birth that first Christmas was for the shepherds. Not for the kings, not for the outsiders, not for the elites, not for the sinners, but for the sinners in need of a Savior, for you and me. Then secondly, notice he comes not to cause fear, 
but to bring joy. It's in the middle of the night. It's dark. It's probably country dark. And there's a world of difference between city dark and country dark, folks. If you've never been out in the country where there is absolutely no light, you'll know what country dark looks like. Um, and then someone suddenly flicks a switch, as if it were, and the whole earth just seems to light up. Um, just this brightness, and it engulfs the shepherds. And verse 9, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm sitting around watching some sheep late at night, middle of the night, it's country dark, and all of a sudden an angel appears, and the skies brighten up brighter than daylight, I'd be a little bit panic-stricken myself. Um, and I wouldn't know what to think. So imagine that. Um, I tried to liken it, this great fear with this angel coming, to a Rambo movie. So here you have a prisoner in the prison cell, in a dungeon, scared to death, and then tortured and everything else, and all of a sudden Rambo comes on the scene, He's got a machine gun. He opens up the prison cell. And every time that they first do that, you see all the prisoners cower in a corner. They cower in a corner because they're scared. They don't know what's going to happen. And then Rambo says, don't fear. I'm here to save you. And they burst into great joy as they march out of the prison. Um, you've never seen that in a Rambo movie? <laughs> I know, but do you make, do you make the correlation? Huh? <laughs> but see, immediately, what? Yeah. <laughs> immediately, immediately the point is that fear is transformed to joy. And really, the angelic hosts were God's army. They were God's messengers. And almost every time when they first came on the scene throughout the Old Testament, throughout the Scripture, you will see that people were first afraid until God's army, God's angelic host, spoke. And after they spoke, that's when people had this fear that was transformed to joy. And so what are the first words they say? Um... Fear not. Uh, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for who? All people. Now, you have to ask yourself, do you really believe that? Do you believe that the good news is for all people? Or are there people in your mind right now, that you think, I know it's for all people, but really, them? You know, can we really get rid of all of our images, our biases, our prejudices, and say, the good news of God's grace, God's love, God's acceptance, 
God's forgiveness, God's salvation is for all people. Now one day, judge, Jesus will come to judge the world. And in that day, all who have rejected his reign and refused his lordship, every unbelieving heart will have grounds for fear. But not that day and not this day. Because until he returns, every person still has a chance to recognize Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and King of the world. So the angels explain that today Jesus has come to drive out fear. His coming is good news that brings great joy. And so Jesus' coming drives out fear at least a couple of ways. Um, and th this was new to me. I hadn't thought of this. First of all, he drives out the fear of failure. Has anybody here ever feared failing Christ? Has anybody here ever feared just failure? Well, the only reason you fear something is that you feel like you have to qualify for something. But if you don't have to qualify for it, there's no reason to fear. And you cannot fail when you don't have to qualify. You can't fail if acceptance with God is offered not on the base of your qualifications, but on the fact that Jesus has already qualified us. He's already said, it doesn't matter what you're doing, I have already paid the price. So I no longer have to fear failure because Jesus has already taken care of it. And whenever I fear, it's telling me that I'm still thinking that I have to qualify. I still have to meet the standard. I still have to do something. Um, so there may, we may yet be sinners fallen short of his glory in Jesus Christ. They are forgiven, pardoned, and accepted. And that's one of the hardest messages that people will receive because humanly, we don't do that for others. We, when somebody harms us, we have a list of all the things that they have to do to make it right. But Jesus said, repent, ask for forgiveness, it's done. It's done. And so the second great fear that Jesus is coming is, drives out the fear of condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So the child born of the virgin would be condemned in our place. There's no condemnation for you who trust him because he has already received it. You are loved and accepted by Christ. Now, if you really begin to let those truths percolate down into your life, into your consciousness, till you ponder them, till you really focus on them, hopefully they will ignite a spark of joy. So when I go through my daily walk and I focus on the things that I focus on, when I begin to recognize, but regardless of all else that is going on, my eternity is settled. My life is right because of what Christ has done for me. And the things that really matter for eternity are not what's going on on a daily basis. 
of what goes on spiritually with Christ. And I have to remind myself that on a regular basis, that I could take a look at something and it may bother me at first, but then I'll have to just remind myself, but this doesn't matter for eternity. This doesn't. I was watching the Packer game and the Bear game last week with a bunch of Packer fans. I was just hoping that eventually we would win and then I could gloat. That didn't happen. And, but I'm sitting there going, but you know, none of this, none of this matters for eternity. Um, and one of the people, I said that out loud, and one of the people there said, well, that's because you're a Bear fan. <laughs> I was going to call their employer. Um, <laughs> but the, the, we take a look and we get so caught up in the things that are taking place today and not being able to have an eternal perspective on it. So let those truths percolate that we don't have to qualify. There is not no condemnation that Christ forgave us, that we have eternity settled. Jesus came for shepherds, not kings. He brings joy, not fear. And then thirdly, we see the countercultural values of the kingdom, perhaps nowhere more clearly than in this, the king is born in a stable. Now we hear that year after year after year. And it, you know, it sounds nice, it's poetic, it's pretty. We go to see living nativities, and we, we, you know, all of those types of things. And it's a wonderful scene. But do we really recognize how totally countercultural this is? God the Son laid in a manger. How will this mighty king be known? What is the insignia of the majesty that will set him apart and identify him as the Davidic monarch who will rule and reign and redeem his people? The king of all kings, lord of all lords, What's going to be the sign? Well, you'll see him in a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes. He traded the throne of heaven for a throne in a manger. Now, we hear that story, but do we totally understand how totally countercultural that would have been? Behold your God, infinite, eternal, and changeable in his being, Wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Here he is, wrapped by a mother's weary hands in a simple peasant cloth laid in a manger. Now, when you understand that, do you really think God isn't beyond your reach? See him lying in a manger? Nobody has gone lower to reach his people than Christ. He didn't say, you have to rise up to my standard. He said, you can't rise up to my standard. I'm going to come down to where every human being can find me. Every human being can relate to me. And it's a pattern that will characterize actually his entire life. I had no proper bed as a baby, and he would have none in his, as an adulthood. Foxes have holes and birds have nests, Jesus said, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. The once heralded Son of David, laid in a manger, would be called King of the Jews and nailed to a cross. 
he who was unnoticed at his first coming would be despised and rejected at his crucifixion. Here is the greatest of the upside-down countercultural values of the kingdom, the one that gives meaning to and becomes the reason for all others. God became man. And so the angel announces that extraordinary news to the shepherd. And is there really any wonder that the heavens split open and nighttime is chased away? Try it again. Picture that scene. Have you ever surprised somebody when it was totally dark? Or been at a surprise party where all the lights are turned off, somebody walks through the door and they turn on the lights and everybody shouts, you know, surprise. This is what's going on. The shepherds are out there, it's dark, the lights go on and the angels yell out, surprise. Jesus is coming. It was great that we're sitting there and Olivia walks into the room, sees the slide of Jesus up there, and she calls, Kyle cries out, that's baby Jesus. Try to imagine that excitement all the time. And that is the beauty of what took place. And that's what the, shepherd, the shepherds did. They went and saw it, and they said, that's the baby Jesus. Um, and the final thing to see about this upside-down values or the countercultural values of the thing, kingdom that Jesus brings, Jesus came first, for shepherds. Secondly, he came to bring joy, not fear. And thirdly, he came as the king of kings in humble obscurity. And finally, he comes to bring glory to God and peace for the world. These are the consequences and the effects of Jesus' coming. It's what Christmas is really about. The glory of God and peace to men and women through faith in Jesus Christ. That is why the virgin was conceived a son, conceived and bore a son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in the manger. The glory of God and peace to man. Now, this is the most important part for me. In a world that says, my will be done and glory to me, there is no peace. In a world that says, glory to me, there is no peace. Um, Jesus was born to say, glory to God, thy will be done. And when we can also say, glory to God, thy will be done, we will finally find peace. But we're still caught up with saying, glory to me and my will be done. Check it in your prayers. He was, he was, he was captured. The hand of God reached out. Whoa, where'd that come from? I was just running around having a good time. Boom. I was raptured. Um, So Jesus was born to say glory to God. Think about our prayers, folks. And ask yourself, how do we pray? Is it really glory to God, thy will be done? Or is it glory to me, my will be done? When we say glory to God, thy will be done, we can find peace. Any other prayer 
leaves us short of the peace that God promises. We are so wrapped up in the pursuit of our own glory. And all it does is shatter our peace. Jesus surrendered his peace in pursuit of God's glory, and he won peace for all of us. Because he said, not my will be done, but your will be done. There is peace with God and peace from God for us in Jesus Christ. And you will find it paradoxically when you give up the pursuit of your own glory, your own praise, your own reputation, and you focus, focus on God. When you cease to focus on self and you turn your eyes instead to Jesus Christ and you learn to sing along with the angels, glory to God, then your peace will come. When the glory of God has captured your heart as he comes to you in Jesus Christ, only there, only in him is there peace. So Jesus came for shepherds, not kings, for sinners, not for the righteous, for screw-ups, not all-stars. He came for us. He came for you and me. And he came not to cause us terror, but to ignite a joy. What a gift we have been given. Now, lastly, take a look at verses 17 through 20. How do you respond to this? How do you respond to this? And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. So when the shepherds saw the child, they made known everything that the angels had told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. Wondered? One group of people just wondered. I wonder if this is true. I wonder what this really means. I wonder how this is going to impact my future. I wonder what this will do for all of humanity. But then there is others, Mary, who pondered them, who treasured them, who focused on them. And that pondering and treasuring is meditating. It's saying, okay, this is true. This is what it means. I'm going to allow this to impact my life. And then the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as had been told them. Now, I want to focus or end with one other thought. What does it mean to treasure and ponder? I think in part it means to talk to ourselves about Jesus. It is to preach Jesus to ourselves. As each of us come facing another year, we're going to have illnesses, we're going to have struggles, we're going to have reversals, we're going to have sorrows, we're going to have joys, but whatever we're going to have, we're going to need God's wisdom. And so pondering and treasuring is saying, preaching messages of Christ to ourselves. You're going to need resources and of grace to sustain you. You're going to need, to help, need help killing our sin and cultivating the fruit of the Spirit. And that doesn't happen on our strength. It only comes through Christ. And so when we ponder, when we treasure, we're preaching a sermon to ourselves 
about how Christ can make a difference. So it's not just saying, yes, it's saying, I need to hear a sermon from Christ for me in order to put up or to deal with or to understand or to overcome the things that are going on in my life. Father, I just praise you and thank you. Thank you for your word. I thank you that we can always find a hope, a truth, an answer, a direction, guidance, courage, wisdom in your word. And that we can find grace, we can find forgiveness, we can find wisdom and courage in a relationship with you. And Lord, we just acknowledge that those two things provide us that opportunity to truly have our lives transformed. To be brought into a line with you. To be used by you for the building of your kingdom. To have your character developed in us. That we can be a light to others. And that when we truly understand the fullness of that joy, we too can just proclaim glory to God in the highest and on earth and peace with those upon whom he is pleased. We thank you, we praise you, and we ask these things in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen.